Talon for Lava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Oahu Okoroi Hawkins. Coming up. This year, you know, we have so many uh, interesting challenges. We speak with the Secretary General of the Pacific Islands Forum, Henry Puna, about the busy year ahead. Also, the reason why we have a commitment to Pacific is because we have that voice in Parliament. There are hopes the appointment of New Zealand's first Deputy Prime Minister of Pacifica descent will inspire the next generation of leaders. And later on, unlike Palau and the Marshall Islands, which have diplomatic ties with Taiwan, Micronesia has diplomatic ties with China. We examine the state of play for negotiations on the U.S. Pacific Compacts of Free Association going into 2023. The Pacific Islands Forum is gearing up for another busy year. A meeting with Japan has been set down early next month to discuss the nuclear wastewater issues. Also next month, the first ever virtual meeting is to be held between the Secretariat and Washington, D.C. Lydia Lewis spoke with Henry Puna about his plans, and he opened up about where he sees himself in the future. This year, you know, we have so many uh, interesting challenges. And one of them really is, uh, you know, the, the new refreshed and reinvigorated partnership that we have with the United States. You know, you would have heard no doubt of the uh, summit, the first ever summit between the Pacific leaders and Washington and President Biden Mm. uh, back in September last year. And, you know, that summit was really awesome. There were a lot of uh, political undertakings and uh, promises were made. And I am looking forward to the challenge with my staff here at the Secretariat of converting those those promises, those political commitments into tangible uh, uh, outcomes, you know, for the benefit of the Pacific. You know, the U.S. is deadly serious about doing the right thing by the Pacific. Is this a job that you would like to have another crack at? You know, I'm enjoying this job so much. Yes, uh, it'll be nice, uh, you know, to continue in the role, but it is up to the leaders. And I guess also it's up to how I can perform over the next, uh, this, uh, this year. We have a lot of important priorities and challenges this year. But uh, I want to focus on uh, the new partnership that we have with the U.S. And uh, because there's a lot of tangible benefits I can see for the region uh, arising out of that partnership. What are those tangible benefits? Well, first and foremost, I think priority on our list is uh, an increased political engagement, you know, at the diplomatic level with uh, Washington. And in that respect, I'm pleased to say that President Biden has already announced the appointment of uh, Ambassador Reed, Frankie Reed, as the U.S. Special Envoy to the Forum. And... Uh, her appointment is uh, currently under discussion between uh, the Secretary and Washington. But, uh, you know, it is a done deal. And uh, for me, that indicates how serious the U.S. is about the undertakings that they made at that uh, summit. The other one is um, trade and investment. Because, you know, following uh, the lockdown and the damage to our economies in the Pacific from COVID-19, you know, I'm excited that the trade and investment opportunities that this new partnership with the U.S. presents for the region. And my staff are working very hard 
you know, to advance the discussions on those two fronts. And I'm pleased to confirm that next month uh, there will be the first ever uh, engagement uh, meeting online, virtually, between our staff, the Secretariat, and with Washington. Climate change, I mean, we all know that that's the existing potential threat that faces the Pacific, and we still have a lot of work to do in that respect. However, we won't give up. We can't afford to give up. You know, we've got to keep battling away and chipping away. But uh, paramount on that list is with climate change is keeping temperature rise to below 1.5 degrees because that is the underlying cause of climate change and that is what we need to address. How do you keep momentum on issues like this going? We've seen time and time again, for example, the last COP meeting, it's difficult to get things across the line. Lydia, we can't afford to give up. That's never in our minds and we will, it will never cross our minds. We can't afford to give up. Every incremental small step that we gain, you know, gives us uh, the confidence to carry on. For example, you know, Australia has long been, uh, I guess you could say, uh, on the outside, respectfully, you know, in terms of commitments to climate change to the Pacific. But with the new government, you know, they have really, uh, you know, upped their game. For example, at COP26 in uh, Shamir Sheikh, you know, Australia with New Zealand lit the charge on the establishment and the approval by the, uh, the global forum there of the loss and damage financing facility. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's good to see because Australia now is starting to sing the same tune as the Pacific. And, uh, and I can see that, you know, there is a lot of room for improvement still. But, you know, those small gains are what gives us confidence and the motivation to carry on. What is the latest on the Suva Agreement? The latest on the Suva Agreement is that, um, you know, the new Prime Minister of Fiji is keen to get his, uh, you know, get his teeth into that. And, uh, and of course, uh, he's, I hear that... Uh, uh, there is talk of uh, convening a special leaders uh, summit uh, between February and March. So, you know, sooner rather than later. And that is to deal with the silver agreement and the financing uh, options, you know, for implementing that agreement. And the 2023 Pacific Islands Forum meeting to be held in a country very, very close to your heart. Where is it being held this year and what date will it take place? Well, that date has uh, yet to be confirmed, but I understand that the Prime Minister Brown of the Cook Islands will be consulting first with the uh, current forum chair, and that is the Prime Minister of Fiji. And then we'll consult with his fellow leaders, with his colleagues, on an appropriate and agreeable uh, time for the forum. So far, that uh, you know, they're looking at around October, following the UNGA uh, in, in New York, which would mean that uh, you know all the leaders should be free uh, for that forum. Finally, the youth. How relevant is the forum now for Pacific youth or young people? Very good question, Lydia. 
because, you know, after all, what we're doing now in many ways uh, really is for the sake of the young ones, you know, those who come after us. And uh, I can tell you that on the climate change front, you know, we're working very closely with our young people because I found out from my experience at COP26, uh, we had some really vocal, but also very, very well-spoken young people who made a very, very uh, a significant impression with their delivery, with their presentation on climate change. And I think, you know, in some ways, if we can pitch them at the right forum, you know, they'll have more of an impact than we older leaders uh, possibly can have. Mr Puna says the next Pacific Islands Forum Leaders meeting is expected to be held in the Cook Islands in October, but that is yet to be confirmed. Law Manuvao Dame Winnie Laban says she hopes the appointment of Carmel Sepoloni as New Zealand's first ever Deputy Prime Minister of Pacific Descent inspires young up-and-coming Pacific leaders to pursue careers in politics. Ms. Sepoloni was chosen by New Zealand's Prime Minister Chris Hipkins on Sunday and both leaders were officially sworn in at a ceremony at Government House on Wednesday. I spoke with Dame Winnie, who became New Zealand's first ever female MP of Pacifica descent after her election in 1999, about the significance of Deputy Prime Minister Sepoloni's appointment for Pacific peoples in Aotearoa and around the region. Absolutely thrilled. Um, this is going to be wonderful for New Zealand and also wonderful for our Pacific region that for the first time ever we have a Pacific representative and a Pacific woman um, as Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, this sends out a signal that Pacific belong to the top and are at the front bench and uh, how important we are as a Pacific nation, Aotearoa New Zealand. Now, uh, you yourself are a trailblazer, a first Pacific woman MP for New Zealand. In light of that, what does this mean and how does, what does it, I guess, indicate for the future as well? Yes. Well, um, it's very important that we acknowledge that Aotearoa New Zealand is a Pacific nation. She's a multicultural nation. And the importance of supporting able and competent and committed our Pacific people into decision-making roles. And this extends to Parliament, to private sector, uh, to civil society, public sector, judiciary. It is very important that we are aspirational to achieve those roles. Why? Because it brings our voice to the table where we need to be heard. It brings our needs. But more importantly, that we respond to those needs appropriately. And with Pacific people there, we bring not only merit, but the expansive word around cultural capital, uh, cultural knowledge uh, to where the decisions are made. And it's very, very exciting. Turning to Carmel herself, I guess your interactions with her and, and how you see this personally in terms of, if you can tell us a bit about um, yeah, the, um, our new Deputy Prime Minister and, and how you see this in her progression in her career as well. Yes. Well, when I first came into Parliament, I was the first. And to be honest, it's long overdue to have more Pacific people in the New Zealand Parliament. But we now have uh, 10 Pacific MPs in Labour, 
one Pacific MP in Greens in Parliament, and we seven of those are Pacific women. Carmel has always been a very strong, hard-working, articulate, fiercely competitive uh, Pacific woman who's always had our interests at heart. And uh, she's also held some very senior portfolio responsibilities, especially with COVID, um, areas like um, the wage subsidies, um, ensuring that the benefits and the packages are available for our Pacific community. Um, she's a very successful local MP and also active member of the Pacific Caucus and brings all those values that are ours, but also a pragmatism because, as you know, the voting public is not just Pacific. It consists of many ethnicities, many groups who have many different needs. She's ready. In, in terms of, um, I'm always uh, sort of going on a tangent here, but always interested in as Pacifica um, interests and Pacifica issues are, are more well represented, get better funding, we're getting uh, more status in the political space. How, in terms of the relation to Tangata Fenua, is 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 this complementary? Is this something that that works together with Maori? This is absolutely complementary because it is about time that Aotearoa New Zealand embraces and owns her history in relation to her identity as a Pacific nation. But more importantly, um, Māori came from the Pacific. You know, they came from Polynesia. Uh, we're, we're a family in terms of the region. It's about time that we celebrated and committed to that kinship and that history in relation to decision-making roles and the, and the appropriate and um, sharing of resourcing. And uh, so secondly, um, Koroi, we must embrace the geopolitical nature of our region. It is very important that countries like New Zealand and Australia are not treating the rest of the Pacific in a top-down manner, that they are brothers and sisters, they have an equal voice to us around the table. And it's only can, can progress when we see some of our Pacific people um, going up the chain in terms of decision-making roles like Carmel's position. And I pray with the reshuffle next week that more of our Pacific people will get recognised. And, of course, we support Tangata Whenua. Why? Because they're the indigenous people of Aotearoa. But also, historically, they have an ancestral connection of Whanaungatanga and family with the rest of the Pacific. We, we're not in the Atlantic Ocean. We're not in the Indian Ocean. We're in the Pacific Ocean. Turning to the politics now, the, the latest poll that I've been able to see was taken before Jacinda's uh, resignation, um, mm-hmm. but it's showing Labour quite low um, with the uh, National and Act sort of in the, fo- in the front running, sort of heading into the election. What do you think um, Labour needs to do to try and increase its rankings in the poll, other than the um, the the initial boost that usually comes with any change in leadership? Well, it's interesting because National have no Pacific MPs for a start, and I think ACT have three uh, Pacific MPs. The Green Party have a Māori Pacific MP. So the majority of voice and the strength of our voice comes from Labour. Labour needs to get out there and get their messages very clear around the, dare I say it, bread and butter issues. It's about education, it's about employment, it's about housing. They've done a lot for our community and all the other communities throughout COVID. You know, it's been a tough time economically. Um, There was also the the massacre shootings that happened in Christchurch. But they do actually a lot. But whether the messages get out there, Koroi, I'm not sure about that. 
So I think it's the constant repetition of positive, but more importantly, with the budget this year, the devil is in the detail in terms of how much resource is going to go to Pacific initiatives where our people can continue to thrive and also to to aspire, like I said, to the decision-making roles in every sector where I'd like to see. And immigration is also another issue. In, in congratulating um, uh, the new Prime Minister, Luxon, uh, the opposition leader, um, had a dig and, and call it same a change in leadership, but the same same government that hasn't delivered. Basically, sort of in a nutshell, was his message. What's your thoughts on that comment? Yeah, well, I think at the end of the day, Labour has to counter um, messages like that because it's very dismissive, but it's not factual. There's no detail, and as you know, they've just announced Chris Hopkins and Carmel Cipolloni. So when the reshuffle comes out, when the budget comes out. I think it's about substance around which party has the policies, has the resources and the personnel to commit to an order in order for our people to continue to thrive. We have a fast-growing youth population in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We have a geopolitical role and responsibility in terms of our region. So which policies are they going to put up and put it up so that people can see and believe what they're on about? And- Outside question, going back to the selection of, of Carmel Sepuloni that sort of came up in discussions here, just in terms of her 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 choice in relation to the other Pacific MPs who each have their own merit in, in the New Zealand Parliament as well and in their current um, recent histories in politics, what do you think might have been the, the decision-making or the, the thoughts around who to put forward and why Carmel was uh, selected? Well, you know, as you know, um, what I've been really impressed about is the unity, you know, um, the sense of unity. Of course, people go into Parliament, Koroi, people are ambitious to rise from the front bench. And as the saying goes, many are called and few are chosen. It's important to be ambitious. It's important to be aspirational. And of course, everyone likes to be in Cabinet because that's where the decisions are made. That's where the resources are allocated. But at the end of the day, Labour is is part of a collective. It's important that there's a collective spirit, that decisions are made, that engages the whole caucus. And what I'm impressed about is they've been able to arrive at a decision like this. Democracies are about debates, but they're also about loyalty and about rules and holding the hard debates, sometimes inside as opposed to outside. But the society and the public measure that by voting at election. What I'd like to say is this, is it's really important that the Pacific community see the potential and talent. I'm a great believer in succession, and we need to nurture and support more of our people uh, to have the confidence and the competence to run for parliament and in local government elections and to be organised because the reason why we have a commitment to Pacific is because we have that voice in parliament and all those other areas. So I just wanted to say that we can't rest. We need to look at the younger generation and the talent there and build them up so that they can run for elections and feel confident to win. Naka, thank you, thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome, Koroi. Thank you, Dan. We need. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good day. All right. Bye. Take care. Take Bye. Care. Bye. 
Palau and Marshall Islands have signed memorandums of understanding earlier this month for their third compacts of free association with the United States, leaving only the Federated States of Micronesia to sign. The MOUs outline the frameworks for what will become their third edition of their compacts of free association, which are ongoing with the U.S., ANZ Pacific's Marshall Islands correspondent Gif Johnson speaks to Caleb Fotheringham on the FSM's diplomatic ties with China and how it relates to its renewed compact. The significance, perhaps, of Micronesia is that unlike Palau and the Marshall Islands, which have diplomatic ties with Taiwan, Micronesia has diplomatic ties with China. And so this is a very interesting dynamic, and essentially it puts Micronesia, the Federal States of Micronesia, in a unique position because they have the compact with the U.S., which is a security agreement, uh, and, and so on, and they also have diplomatic ties with China, and no country in the Pacific region uh, has this dynamic. So it's, it's quite interesting and is, is one of the reasons why Micronesia, although it isn't particularly important militarily, as is the Marshall Islands, and a little bit to a lesser extent, Palau. But the FSM, because of its China connection, is important to the U.S., obviously. Yeah, for sure. Do you think the FSM's connection with China may result in them not signing the agreement? I don't believe there is any fundamental reason that the Federated States of Micronesia and the U.S. won't come to agreement on a new funding package for the Compact of Free Association. Uh, However, I'm aware that while Palau and the Marshall Islands had come to basic agreement with the U.S. on funding amounts, even though the detailed black and white spelling out the use and all of that is still to be done, but they had come to agreement on the money amounts. Micronesia and the U.S. are still apart on what should be the amount, the, the amount that will be the annual funding arrangement between Washington and Micronesia. So until they can come closer together and work out their difference on that, uh, they won't be ready to sign off uh, on either an MOU like Palau and the Marshalls or the compact uh, as, as an agreement, an overall agreement. But the FSM, like the Marshalls and, and Palau, is very much part of the United States family. These are not countries that are going to change to somebody else. I don't believe that. That's specific waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Tofasui for.